welcome to the Y Hockey Periodically. We're doing two shows in the matter of less than 24 hours podcast because it is the conference finals. We've got to do something special. And because it's the Carolina Hurricanes, there's only one person we could have on the show. It's our brand. We talked to Corey Schneider about the Panthers Hurricanes in the conference final. What the hell has happened here, Corey? Yeah, pretty surprising. But uh, I mean, I kind of expected this to happen in the first round if you talked to me like two months ago. But uh, certainly not in the conference final, but that's the way the chips have fallen. And it's been a pretty wild playoff, especially in the East. I was watching the last game of the regular season because it was Hurricanes Panthers. And for a good chunk of it, I'm like, oh, I got to get ready to to DM Corey because the Panthers are going to play the Hurricanes. Let's preview this series. And then as the time the game got closer to finishing, it became obvious that wasn't going to happen. And then I'm like, oh, well, I'm not going to be able to talk to Corey about a Panthers-Hurricanes playoff series for a while. And it turned out the for a while was about, what, five weeks? Yeah, about that. Maybe a month. I don't know. Time flies in the playoffs. It simultaneously, as I said on the first show, feels like it's gone by in a flash, but every game feels like it's an experience. It takes a lifetime out of you. Yeah. Uh, and that maybe it's because of the way these two teams play. It feels like that. There's nothing easy when it comes to the postseason, uh, we talked a little about on the other show with Tommy, the Panthers perspectives of this, but obviously you're one of the smartest people out there, not just about hockey in general, but particularly the hurricanes. So I want to get your thoughts first and foremost on this team, because going into the playoffs, everyone was thinking, all right, they had a great regular season, but there's no Svetch, There's no Pacioretty. Then Tara Vining gets hurt. They just, they can't score goals. That's been their problem in the last couple of postseasons when they need a key uh, moment and a goal in it. They don't have it. And now here they are in the conference finals where they were the better team than the Islanders, although that was close. And then on the balance of play, they wrecked New Jersey, which I didn't think they were going to do. So what's the difference between this Hurricanes team and the last handful of them? Um, well, who they've played is kind of a big, is a big factor. They haven't had the face Igor Shesterkin, although they did have to play Elias Sorokin, who's a pretty good goalie in the in the first round. But uh, I think just the path they've taken to the playoffs is a is a big thing. And like the Islanders were so like they went into the playoffs kind of at like a half speed just because they hadn't played well for like a month on top of all the injuries. They couldn't score goals. They couldn't get a save. They were they were driving play as well as they usually do. But but if you ask most of the fan base, like about a month ago, or maybe a little over a month ago, like they were in a feeling about this team. We thought it was just going to be a punt year because everybody's hurt. They can't score goals. They couldn't get a save from anybody either. Anderson was injured. That's the other thing. And then around game five against the Islanders is when it started to change. They dominated the Islanders in that game. They lost. But they just dominated them and they kind of just got back to some of their old matchups. Like they've been using Jordan Stahl as their matchup center again, instead of uh, most of the year it was Aho getting the tough matchups. And uh, I think drawing the Islanders in the, was a, in the first round was a good way to kind of get right. Cause the Islanders play this play a very similar brand to the hurricanes and they're not going to get burned on counterattacks as much, but what they did against New Jersey was so impressive. Like, uh, I could not believe how much, well, like, I I felt good about them winning the series just because they ended the Islanders series on a high note, and it's New Jersey's first time in the playoffs. They had their own struggles against the Rangers that I thought Carolina could exploit. But 
just the way they beat them in five games was so impressive. And I think a lot of it goes to just some guys in the roster are flat out playing better. Like Marty Natchez had his best series, had his best series really as an NHLer. Jesperi Cook in the Emmy looks like a very good like second line center right now. And Slavin and Burns played about as good as they ever have as Hurricanes since they've been since they were put together. Like the way they the way they just dominated the Devils in that series was probably the most it's probably the probably the most impressive duo they've had since Hamilton was on the team if not better, just because they're not conceding many goals at all. But I think just everybody's playing to like their capabilities right now. And we'll see if it carries over against Florida because Florida is a bit of a unique matchup. Like I know they were a wildcard team, but it's a wildcard team with two forty goal scorers, a hard finalist and a goalie who has a history of shutting down very good teams in the playoffs. So we'll see. Before we get to your opinions on Florida, I want to ask you about the system, because that's what everyone has gone to. It's the system, because they don't have Svechnikov and Pacioretty, and yet they still looked as good as they did against New Jersey. What is it about the system? Because we've seen it the last couple of years where they'll have these really good games when they can get their matchups, and then on the road, they just don't get it, and it puts a lot of pressure on you to win. It's not like the system's any different. The, the Brenda Moore Hurricanes, they look pretty much the same as they have, even at the start of this run when they won that game seven in Washington, right? So is it the system or is it just players rising to the moment and getting, you know, the the Islanders being a team that doesn't score so you can play close to the best hockey, even if you're not playing your best, and then New Jersey, a team that, you know, struggled for a good chunk of that series against New, New York and overcame it, but then you're playing a totally different animal in the Hurricanes, is it the system? I know you think the matchups are there, but because I think that's the general narrative about Carolina right now is, oh, the system's incredible. It elevates all these players. Is that really what it is? Or is it just they got bounces and once they got the bounces, they started playing like themselves again? Yeah, the thing about the system is is that they just don't force things. They, they flip the puck out of the zone more than anybody else. They dump the puck in more than anybody, anybody else and go to work from there. So they're not going to force plays, but what they do so what they've done better than than previous playoffs, in my opinion, is they've capitalized on mistakes a lot more. And that was there in the Islander series, like especially in game six, New York kept just icing the puck over and over and over again when they were up one nothing. And then eventually they were able to score on a reset. I mean, it took a lucky bounce because the puck went off Ajo and he batted it in out of midair, but still. Like that's just kind of what the game dictated, and they were able to get, they were able to kind of just rise to the, rise to the occasion there. Against New Jersey, New Jersey was trying to force a lot more plays. Not even, well, not even force plays, because like if you watch the uh, Jarvis goal in Game One, it's a simple play off a faceoff that Carolina lost, and the defenseman kind of tries to go down the wall, but Jarvis knew he was going to do that, picked it off, and went the other way and scored. And finishing is like the other thing to this, because the Carolinas had trouble scoring, like. Everybody knows how much of a problem it is to score goals in Carolina, but that started to kind of fix itself in a few games against the Devils. And part of that is just because part is because like New Jersey was getting way too over aggressive on their forecheck, which Carolina took advantage of, got a few bounce, got a few rush chances with Natchez, who's playing on Jordan Stahl's line. So I think it's easier for him now to kind of get open space. 
and everything just kind of gelled together. And then around game there in game five is when things kind of started to look scary for them because New Jersey was playing a lot more conservative and wasn't going to hand the Hurricanes chances by forcing plays up the middle or making or like trying to make high-risk passes in their own zone. They were backing off on the blue line a lot more, dumping the puck in, just wearing Carolina down. And they kind of took a beating on the uh, on the shot chart from it, but it was a close game, and they had to. They ended up losing in overtime because because they flipped the puck over the glass. So, like they can be exploited still as well as they're playing right now. But the way they played, just how opportunistic they were, and the way they finished in the first in the first three games or the first two games in Game Four of that series really kind of set the balance for the rest of it. And they could just play a lot more loose from there from then on. So it's a combination of both. The system worked a lot better against New Jersey than it did against the Islanders. But you also have a lot of guys really just kind of playing better hockey than they have. And I think the line switches that Brindamore made kind of helped that too, because he flipped flipping Natchez from Cook and Yemi to Jordan Stahl's line seemed to fix some things. And then he put Martinuk and Jesper Foss with Cook and Yemi who are two grinders, very, they're grinders, but they're quick. And if there is a play open, they can make it. So it's a lot easier for them to, it's a lot different. It's a lot easier for a guy like Okanyama to kind of play his game when he's not with like a guy who wants to command the puck on his own, like Natchez. So really it's just a combination of things kind of coming together. As it always is at the playoffs. And I have to ask you because, you hadn't yet, as the time you wrote your thing for uh, All Three Zones, your Substack, which you have to read if you haven't already, um, that you hadn't yet watched the Florida-Toronto series. And I need to get your take on what the Panthers have been doing in this postseason, because I've said my piece, I've tweeted about it, I've said it on the podcast, why I think they've been winning these series against Boston and Toronto. But what do you think? Because when we had you on in whenever it was, January, February, we were talking about the piece you wrote for McKean's and why the Panthers were struggling. And how, you know, death by a thousand cuts, they're losing on the margins. And yet now the opposite is happening. And it's fascinating because I don't think they've changed a ton, but I think they've made some subtle tweaks that have worked and they took advantage of teams that really folded under pressure. But what did you think of the Panthers, not just against the Maple Leafs, but the entirety of the postseason? Well, um, they've been a lot more adaptable to the situation from what I've seen, like especially against Boston. Like Boston really likes controlled plays out of the zone and they were able to shut a lot of those off and that really helped them in game two. And I think they've just gotten a lot better kind of at not folding when like a game just kind of goes off the rails a little bit. And um, judging from what I didn't get to watch much of the Maple Leaf series, but they were a lot more opportunistic in that series than I kind of expected. Like there was one reverse behind the net that Lundell just kind of pounced on and scored. And they were able to get a few. They they got a lot more rush chances in that series than they, they than they did against Boston. Like against Boston, it was very forecheck dominant. Like their team speed still played a factor, but they just went to work on them, especially on Game Six. And Boston started to do a lot of things they didn't do in the regular season, like like uh, uh like rimming the puck around the glass, which got picked off numerous times. And Florida eventually scored a goal out of it. I think that was the Dolphy goal that uh put them up too and uh they've just been a lot better kind of at reading like what the game 
what the game kind of dictates. And I don't know, it's a talented roster still, especially the forwards. So I think there was there's kind of a sleeping giant element to them if they could figure it out. And that seems to be what's happening. Well, because they were, if you looked at obviously Jay Fresh, Jack Frazier uses your work to talk about you know, not just zone entries, but also some of the expected goal stuff. And they were always like 30th, 31st or 32nd in scoring under expected all year. So at some point you were going to think, all right, they're generating these chances. They're not going in. The goaltending's not great. Their specialty teams stink. You know, at some point that's going to even out. But like, you don't expect it to basically even out in one series. Like against the Bruins, it just evened all of it out in one series. Like the Bruins were scoring overexpected all year they had the great goaltending right executing and the panthers were the diametric opposite and then it's steven out in one series uh, what factor do you think because i think that the bruins got really spooked by how fast the panthers were playing and i think the maple leafs had that same issue sheldon keith said it like we didn't expect this series to be as fast as it was which come on sheldon you know it's the panthers they're a little different than they were but they're still a fast team I think the, the way that the Panthers play and how fast they make you play has really affected both the Bruins and the Maple Leafs who could not for the life of them slow the games down in the series. And because of that, they lost. If Florida dictates the tempo and the games get a little nutty or more high event, then Florida thrives in that environment. And I don't think either team, Boston or Toronto, or had really any clue how to stop that. Yeah, they definitely, Toronto especially, looked a little shell-shocked by just how much Florida was kind of able to to bring the play to them, especially in Game 3. Like, that was a real, like, alarm setting off for Toronto there because they were not good in that game at all, and their season well, was basically was on the line. Is, what was funny about that game was, eventually, they just kind of went to the lobby lock. Like, they just went to neutral zone trap, try to prevent the Panthers from doing really anything, and they just went right through it. And they scored a couple of goals off of mistakes from the Panthers. But even at 2-1, you're just like, oh, Florida's going to tie this game. And yeah. the more it went on and towards the end of the game, I'm like, what are they doing? Because I didn't think they played even in game two. You know, the game was high event enough where Florida was going to be opportunistic and we're going to take their chances. And then they did. And I've never seen a Panthers team that opportunistic. Certainly this team wasn't. This year, not even close. But... Even in game five, you would be thinking after game four, when that game was really slow, the Panthers kind of skated in mud a little bit, that the Leafs would try to do the same thing. And they didn't. And it stunned me because that game was too high event for Toronto to, to keep up. And at some point they were going to make a mistake that cost them. And they did. And the thing about Carolina is they can play high event and compete on a level with Florida in a way that both Boston and Toronto can't. Those teams do much better when the play is dictated by them and it is a slower pace. Carolina could play a very high event game and still would not be out of it because of the way they forecheck and how aggressive they are, but that controlled aggression. And it's been why I think the Panthers have not matched up well against Carolina the last, well, ever really, but certainly the last couple of years. Do you think that matchup's still kind of the same? Because I, I thought Carolina, other than, I mean, obviously, the first game they played this year, the Panthers got a shutout and the Hurricanes looked terrible. The second game was the exact opposite. And then the last game of the regular season was a very high event game that Carolina was a little more opportunistic in, but I still thought they were the better team. Do you think that that same kind of tempo and 
tenor to the games we've seen between the Panthers and Hurricanes during the past is going to continue over to this series because that's my biggest fear for Florida is that they're just going to get overwhelmed at some point by what Carolina does as they always seem to have. Yeah, I think this goes back to whether or not Carolina can keep enough pucks out of their own net because uh, like Florida is going to get their chances. I don't know if Carolina can neutralize them as well as they do New Jersey just because Florida – Florida is content with playing the dump and chase game and their forecheck is a lot better than New Jersey. And they have got their wingers are a lot more formidable than what they saw last last two series as well. Like, I don't know. I feel like Florida is kind of a combination of the speed of the devils and the physicality of the Islanders. And they struggled with how physical the Islanders were just Shea and Pesci got run into the inboards so many times and ended up making just a lot of mistakes as a result. Whereas against the devils, they were getting the puck out of the zone before they could eat before the devils could even get to the red line or the uh, face off circles. So I think Florida brings a good combination of both. That could be trouble for Carolina because Carolina's entire game is basically based on not making any mistakes, which means getting the puck out before there's any pressure. And I wonder if they could do enough, What they can do, I think is probably force Florida's defensemen to turn the puck over a lot. It's just a matter of they can score off of those. Because if you look at the goals they scored on, they it's been a lot more versatile than it's been in previous seasons. Like they were able to create a couple of end-to-end rushes against New Jersey, whereas against the Islanders, they were pretty much forecheck or nothing that series, except for the overtime winner by Jesper Foss. And uh, I think this series is going to be a real test of just how strong they're, just how much they're willing to bend but not break. Because they also, uh, I don't know how really good Florida's cycle game is, but like Carolina plays a really tight man-to-man defense, and that has its it has its strengths because like the entire team can skate well and keep up with you, but you also end up with situations where you got like a one of the you got like a center covering a you have a center covering a defenseman and a winger cover well. Basically, you got you have a situation where like you have the wrong guy covering the wrong person in front of the net. But their whole thing is to just to not allow time and space for shooters to like pick their corner on Anderson, but they will give up net front chances. And against the uh, De- and against the Devils in Game Three, they were able to exploit it by kind of just getting the puck past them out of the zone when their defensemen were pinching, and they got a lot of odd man rushes out of it. But that was kind of a Murphy's Law game from the Hurricanes. Like I've never seen them play that poorly before. Like just with keeping. Just with like mistakes in general, keeping pucks in, keeping pucks out of the zone, losing their guys in front, and it was just a disaster. But for the rest of the series, they were about as good as they've ever been as far as coverage goes. And with Florida, I just wonder if they can score enough of the, if Florida can score enough of like the dirty type of goals, they might be able to pull off an upset just because those are the chances that Carolina is going to give up more than more times than not, rather than ones where you got like, a halo around you to shoot. I think what's interesting about the Panthers is because in the Boston series, a lot of the goals were nasty. You know, when you watch that series, like most of them were gross stuff in front of the net, tip plays, coming off of turnovers, things like that. There were some really nice goals that they scored, but a lot of it was, as you said uh, in a tweet, they had only three rush goals that entire series against the Bruins, which was the least in the first round, which was totally antithetical to the last two years for Florida. So I think they can, and they obviously have guys who, you know, Sam Bennett, Kachuk, 
uh, Reinhardt can do that, could score nasty stuff in front of that. They don't particularly care. The thing I think that you're indicating is that it's which defense turns the puck over more when they're facing the four-check onslaught. Because one thing I know about the Florida defense is they will turn the puck over if you cause them to make mistakes. Not just Mark Stahl, but all of their defensemen are liable to make mistakes. And not even just turning the puck over, that might lead to scoring chances, but leading to penalties. Because their penalty kill Florida was better in round two, just they didn't take as many penalties. Uh, but obviously we saw what happened in round one when they took a ton. The Bruins were like 40% of the power play. And the Hurricanes have always won the special teams battle against the Panthers. Always. And so I think for Carolina, it's can you forecheck the Panthers defense into making mistakes that cause either, you know, good scoring chances or penalties. And for Florida, can you get at any of their defensemen? Because you've talked a lot about that third pair. It's not a weak third pair. It's not like the Panthers have defensemen as they did on Toronto or even Boston that they could target. Like we are going after them and we're going to make their lives miserable every time they're on the ice. Even Shea and Pesci, I don't think that that's going to last more than like a game, you know, unlike in the, the Leaf series where they targeted certain defensemen and just went after them on every shift. You know what I mean? And yeah. I think that's the advantage that Carolina has where you could force every one of the Panthers defensemen into those kinds of turnovers but wherever the Hurricanes against Brent Burns, probably not going to happen. You know, Chatfield and Gostaspare has apparently been a really good pair for them. I don't think you're going to cause them to make those kinds of mistakes. They play pretty simple games. So are you going to get that second pair, the Shea Pesci pair, to make mistakes? And if you're going to bank on a team, you know, to make mistakes, you have to be opportunistic. And I just don't know whether you can be perfectly opportunistic in the way that they were against Toronto because I don't think that works in every element. Like it doesn't work in every series, right? No, but like with Carolina, where the other thing about their run in the playoffs is they played most games with a lead. So they can kind of play a lot more comfortable than if they need to push for a goal where like in the, like in the Islander series, it was mostly tied and they were very conservative where if the devils, they got a lot of, they got a couple early goals in those games and they could kind of just coast and play their defensive structure and strike on counter attacks a lot easier really up until game four, like game four is where I was like the most impressed with them. Cause they had a, they give up an early goal in that game and kind of just stuck with their usual, their usual methods. They weren't pushing for a lot of offense. They waited for the devils to get over aggressive on their own four check and they kind of they could strike on some counterattacks but like uh the way they defend is exploitable just because it's a man-to-man system with a lot of guys running around the zone so if you can complete a couple passes and just create some deception you might be able to get a few get a few layup goals or some easy chances but a lot of teams have struggled with this like especially the devil struggled with it a lot more than I expected because I thought Hughes and I thought Hughes and Meyer were going to create a lot more problems for them than they did. Also from just the matchup game because they went with Stahl against Hughes for a lot of that series and Stahl just had a total blanket on him for the entire game. So I want to ask about that if you don't mind, like because we know that's a thing that they do particularly in home games is heavy line matching. And you were asking about this on Twitter, and I talked about this on the other show. Like, where is Rod Brindamore going to go with these matchups? Is he going to put Stahl on the Kachuk line, or which would then have Aho on Barkov? Or is it going to be something different? 
because I think that is going to dictate a lot of what you see in the series. Because I thought towards the end of the Leaf series, Kachuk, Cousins, and Bennett was pretty quiet. They weren't doing the same things they were doing at the end of the Boston series. And the Barkoff line was doing a lot of donkey work defensively because it's Barkoff. And the best line was Lundell, Losterainen, and Reinhardt. So what line is Rod Brindamore essentially going to dare to be good to beat them? What do you think? Yeah, this is interesting because in the re- the regular season, Aho always gets the Barkoff matchup. And this has gone back for like two years. And in the playoffs, it's been strictly Jordan Stahl. And I was a little surprised he did that against the Devils just because they have Heesher's line too. And they split him, they split Hughes and Meyer a little bit. Whereas this one, he really has to kind of pick uh, pick an option. I think he might he might play the matchups a little looser just for that reason alone, because Florida's running three lines deep right now because they got Sam Reinhardt on the third line and he's no slouch either. And I don't know if Co- I don't know if Kokaniemi can really match up against him, although he's done a outstanding job so far. That, that was my that was my point on the other show was basically like, okay, if you're gonna give stall to Barkoff or Kachuk. And then Aho to whoever else, you're then basically saying, All right, Lundell Osterainen and Reinhardt come beat us. And that's dangerous because I thought that line's been really good all postseason. And Sam Reinhardt is somebody who Paul Maurice is not afraid of having in defensive situations. It's not your usual third line. Like last year's Panthers third line was pretty strictly offense, you know? And this one is very versatile in that he doesn't really care if he's got to put Sam Reinhardt out for a long defensive shift because he trusts him. And Lundell obviously is, is one of the better defensive centers in the league already. And they're generating offense. So it's basically what line does he want to have beat them or at least attempt? And yeah, no, I think it just goes back to playing styles too. And the, the Canes line combinations also got jumbled up in the Islander series. So it's a lot you have a real mix of skill across the top nine now, especially with Tara Vinen coming back. And uh, I'm guessing he's eventually going to end up on Ajo's wing. But right now, like, he was using Stahl along with Natchez and Jack Drury, who's a rookie. A uh, rookie who's played, like, maybe 20 NHL games total, matching up against Hughes. And stall what he does so well is just making things so easy for the wingers like you'll see him kind of you'll see him lead on the forecheck call out coverages call out assignments tell guys who to cover which goes back to the man-to-man system and it's just a lot easier for them to kind of get out in the play make themselves open for a pass so they can play more on offense and i think that'd be a lot more useful against kachuk because you want him out of the offensive zone as much as possible. Not that he's bad defensively. You just don't want him in front of the net and just like getting and just like hitting your defenseman on the forecheck. Whereas like, I think he might be a little more open to trade chances with Aho and Barkov because Aho, as good as he is, he's been very good defensively this year, but there, there have been some line combinations that will look that have been kind of rough for him as far as like defensive zone coverage goes. But he can skate with Barkoff and he can skate with Verhage. And I think that's important for uh I think that's important for a matchup like this, especially since he's got Jarvis on his wing now, who's also probably probably the fastest player on the team. So I think that I think that'll factor into the matchup. He might be a little more con- he might be uh more willing to play stall against Barkoff just for size reasons, but I think 
but I wouldn't be surprised if Aho gets the Barkoff matchup and Stahl gets Kachuk. That's what I think they're going to do for the reasons you said, but also it's like, I think you'd rather take chances against Barkoff's line because it hasn't, like, somebody in that organization has seen the numbers and is like, okay, they've actually been a sub, like, 45 expected goals line in the playoffs. Even though I think the line was really good against Toronto, it hasn't been generating a whole ton of offense, like like consistent offense. So you might be willing, like, okay, we need to shut down this big line, which is, you know, incredible in terms of chance creation and always ha- and, and in terms of momentum like what happened against boston is i think jim montgomery eventually conceded oh i know that line's going to come on the ice and it's going to generate a ton of momentum well we're going to not be able to do anything when they're on the ice i'm just going to get away from that matchup and see what happens when they're off the ice Toronto took that line away the problem is other lines ended up stepping up and creating offense and you know, made plays. So I wonder whether he's going to try to get the eraser on the big momentum line for Florida and then say, all right, well, we rather change, you know, the kind of tempo of the game when Ajo's on the ice against Barkov because that line hasn't been quite as good in the postseason. Does that make sense? Because that's what that's what I think he's probably he's not going to concede a matchup because one line's going really well and another isn't like Jim Montgomery did. And I don't think he's going to be as hesitant to adjust in the kind of way that Sheldon Keefe was. No, it, it takes a really, really bad game for Brenda Moore to start juggling lines or switching things around. And he's only, he did that after game, game three against the Islanders. And he didn't even do that after the A4 loss to New Jersey. I think he kind of just thought that game was a wash and threw it in the garbage but it takes a lot for him to kind of go with something that's worked so well in the playoffs. And uh, I think that I think he's going to be pretty rigid with the decisions that he makes to start the series. Like unless they get the doors blown off of them in games one and two, I don't see any reason like he would switch them. So who is as a hurricanes fan, even as much as an analyst as a fan, what, worries you the most like is it players is it a certain idea tactically that the Panthers have what worries you the most because I know what worries me the most from not just a fan perspective but also what Carolina can exploit uh and I think the player that scares me the most is Seth Jarvis because he's playing really really well and I think it's the kind of player that can get in behind Florida in a way that you just haven't seen uh in other series but what worries you the most? Like, is there a combination, a player, an idea that you go, I don't know how they match up with this and I don't know how they're going to adjust to play against it. Yeah. I think it goes back to asking who is the best player on the ice in a given matchup. And like between the two teams, who do you think the best player is between the two of them? In terms of like, that's what's funny is for forwards, I think in almost every Florida matchup, unless they're playing the fourth line, that they probably have the best forward on the ice. But, but then on general, the back end, but, but on the general, back end, I think, that, yeah, but on the back end, it's also, I think the Panthers are not anywhere near there defensively. You know, the defense group for Carolina is such an X factor in what they do and how they can, you know, take all the good that a forward group does and then wash it. You know, the Panthers don't have that kind of defense score. They're going to give up chances no matter what. Even if I think that Ekblad and Forsling have been exceptionally good this postseason and, you know, Mark Stahl hasn't cost the Panthers games yet. 
you know, but that's exploitable in a way that I don't think the Hurricanes defense is quite as exploitable, even if on balance, you know, I think the Hurricanes forward group is more balanced, but on balance, I think the Panthers have more top end talent, at least available in this series. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, I kind of go back to what's done them in, in the playoffs in previous years, whether it's Tampa Bay or the Rangers or Boston in previous seasons. It goes back to like the best player on the te- the best player on the ice is always on the other team. And they've kind of bucked that trend this year because, like, I mean, they just beat Jack Hughes and Timo Meyer. And against the Islanders, it's debatable whether you take Barzal over Aho, but Aho was better in that series. I, I so wouldn't take, I mean, maybe it's my bias because of Finland, but I, I don't think I would take Barzal over Aho. And uh, Barzal also just came back from an injury, too. I, and I also, I also look at like Horvat and go like, okay, I, if Carolina has the ability with, you know, not just the centers, but also with Terravine and healthy, like I, I, even without Pacioretty and Svetch, I would still go, okay, the, the, the Hurricanes right. are a better forward group. I yeah, don't think that, that obviously they didn't. played in that series either way. So this is true. This is true. And I also like the thing with New Jersey is I figured at some point they were going to hit a playoff wall. Like Jack Hughes was going to hit one at some point. Just he had to. And he kind of did. And some of those forwards were going to hit a playoff wall, and they did. And they, you know, well, they also, the other thing is they they beat them with Jordan Martin because they're leading goal scorer, which I don't think anybody expected. But also, Slavin and Burns also played at a superstar level that series. And like, I know like Con Smythe is decided by points, but like, if they, if this team does go all the way, they got to find a way to split the trophy between the two of these guys. I think it would probably go to Brent Burns as kind of like a lifetime achievement award sort of thing yeah. more than Slavin because it's, it's Brent Burns. And even when his game isn't all that loud, it's still pretty loud. I want to ask you about that because obviously that trade was a fascinating one. And I don't think anybody expected it to work out the way that it has. Why is, why has Brent Burns been like elite, elite level good at whatever he is 37 I mean, it's the perfect system for him. He doesn't have to play much defense with, he doesn't have to play much defense. It's easier for him to kind of retrieve pucks and create a lot more off the rush. In fact, he doesn't really have to retrieve a lot of pucks against four checks. He gets to create a lot on resets. He, and this team just plays a lot more in the offensive zone in general than the Sharks did. Like he can kind of go back to how he played with, with the Sharks back when they had all of their guys and were playing at a top level. And uh, like he th- he does like still have a lot of his Brent Burnsy habits. Like he does get a- over aggressive sometimes. He'll miss a read here and there. He got burned for he got burned on one goal against New Jersey off a of miscommunication. But overall, he's been just he's been everything they could have asked for and more, especially at his age. And I think also just having Slavin as a safety valve playing center field back there makes a difference because. It's a lot easier. It's a lot easier to play defense. Like when you know what your assignment is, you're not having to cover for, you know, you're not having to cover for like Mario Ferraro and an ancient Mark Edward Vlasic. And you actually trust your forwards to make the next play out of the zone too. And they're not going to constantly cough the puck up at the blue line. So I think that makes the difference. He can kind of just play his normal game. I was, I mean, I guess I wasn't expecting this many points, but I mean, it's Brent Burns. He gets his points. He shoots the puck a lot. We're in the offensive zone a lot more than the Sharks were. So it's just a byproduct of that. But I didn't expect him to be this like mistake free in the playoffs. Like against New Jersey, that's the best series I've ever seen him play. 
It's fascinating, right? It, and that's where you get to the uh, it's a system thing, isn't it? Because it's the system thing, but like Burns is also like supremely talented. So like you do need the two to complement each other. Well, it's again, when we say like, even if you're 37, some of the skills might go, the speed might go, but the brain doesn't. Your brain doesn't suddenly leak out of your ears at 37 as a hockey player. You could still be incredibly smart and uh, and figure that out. And I, apparently he's done that because like the, the Hurricanes have all these intriguing defensemen. And then, oh, no, it's like, oh, here's Shane Gossespierre and Jalen Chatfield and they work. It's just that's Carolina, right? Yeah, they've been great as a third pair. So when I think about the entirety of this series and how it's going to go, I don't think there's any way it finishes in anywhere sooner than six or seven games. I think we also have to talk about goaltending because right now Sergei Bobrovsky is on an all-time heater, like truly incredible the level of play he's got. And Freddie Anderson's not playing badly either. But if you're going to go down to goaltending at this point in the in the playoffs, I think you know who you're going to trust, right? But do you trust that Freddie Anderson can do enough to give the Hurricanes the platform they need to win, right? Because I think he can. He certainly has proven in the postseason mostly that he can. But what do you think? Yeah, well, and for the most part, he's been excellent. It's just that one game that he had an all-time stinker, and so did Coach Chekhov. And that kind of just brings down his overall numbers. But for the most part, he's been fantastic. And the Hurricanes, they do a good job of like kind of making his job easy because with Anderson, it's really all about if he can see the shot and if he can read the play. So like they usually get out. They're very good about like clearing the lanes for him so he could track down shots and making sure there's no screens. And if there is a if they are dealing with a passing play off the rush, they make sure he can see it and that they give him, they take away the pass or they give him the shot just so he knows like where he has to go. And like, if he can do that, if when he's on his game, he's excellent at doing that. Even like just recently coming off of an injury, which is what I was worried about. It's just the goals that he does let in are kind of soft. That's the one issue. And those, those are kind of backbreaking. Like he's very he struggles a lot with like the with breakaways, especially if guys can make a move on him. He gets faked out a lot pretty easily if it's one on one. And I think uh, I think that's where Florida can kind of exploit him a little bit. Just because like if he has a bad game, he kind of gets in his own head about it sometimes. Although in the in the devil series, he rebounded like he rebounded like excellently. And he had a lighter workload than Bobrovsky, though, which is kind of what I worried about, what I'm a little worried about, because Bobrovsky is playing at the level right now where if he if he's facing like 40 something shots, he's going to stop all but one or two of them. And the way the Hurricanes play and the way they kind of create their offense, I think, kind of feeds into what Bobrovsky is good at shutting down. Just like anything that's below the net, anything that's like anything that's in a lower part of the net, he can take away pretty easily so they're gonna they're gonna need to do a really good job about getting traffic and kind of really fighting for rebounds to to get to get one past him this series you you can think about the goals he gave up in the in the toronto series like in game five it was one was off of nick cousins's shin pad and the other was because both defensemen got turned right 
Yeah. He, he still can be liable to give up ones that you're like, okay, the second goal against, against uh, in game four, where it was a really long shot, ton of traffic, kind of beat him clean, you know? And he had in the two on one, he had to give that one up in game three, but Boston got to him. Boston scored goals against him. But the key for me in that series was he always made the save that he had to make, not just the end of game five, Marshan save, but just in general, he made the save he had to make. And the Hurricanes obviously are going to get volume. But the thing with Bob is you, you just don't know if like this six day break is going to mean that all of the good stuff he was doing is over now. You just don't know if the momentum is going to carry over because against Toronto, the ball was going downhill and he just, he was seeing everything. The other thing I think that the Hurricanes should try to do is ensure that he doesn't get a chance to slow the game down on his own. I don't know if you've noticed this watching back. It may be different when you're watching for what you're watching, but he's doing a really good job this postseason in slowing the game down. Like if you looked at game seven in overtime, there's a quick chance that the Bruins have and immediately Bobrovsky goes over to the referee and is like, oh, the peg's kind of loose. And that slows the game down completely. In game one, I think against the Leafs, he did a very similar thing. And he's been freezing a lot of stuff. Like almost any shot he sees, he's not giving up a rebound. He's not putting the puck back in play. He's like, I'll take a face off. And the key for me, I think, in this series is whether the Hurricanes can speed him up a little bit and get him to get more rebounds in play. Because I think that, now that he's able to slow the game down and dictate his own kind of tempo, that's making it a lot harder for teams to beat him on anything that isn't really greasy or a weird bounce off a referee's knee. You know, mm-hmm. I think Carolina has to do a good job of making sure he's facing a bunch of shots in sequence, you know, because if you go, if you go back and you watch the way he's kind of slowing the game down deliberately, it gets the Panthers a breather and it gets them a face off and then they can reset. But yeah, I also wonder because Carolina, with they're such a big faceoff team, and they have a lot of set plays off their faceoffs. So I think that that's something they might be okay with. It's just a matter of whether or not they could like execute on those. But it is interesting, like if Bobrovsky wants to slow the game down, if that's something the Hurricanes like would welcome. It it certainly feels like that in the in the boston series he did that and in the toronto series he did that i don't know whether it would work here because as you said obviously the hurricanes are a great team off of face-offs and they've got really good face-off players but it's one of those things where i think the panthers would rather you know put Roghart or barkoff or bennett out in a face-off situation or even eric stall you know in a face-off situation be just like ah we'll take our chances whatever who cares we don't really have a choice we would rather this than the chaos you know chaos puck you know what i mean yeah where do you think um all of the connections between these franchises, and there's about a thousand of them. I mean, it is, it's just good for nostalgia's sake, obviously, but what does it feel like you're going up against Paul Maurice and Eric Stahl and all these other, you know, former Hurricanes in a playoff series? Is it weird for you? Because obviously you've been rooting for the Hurricanes for a long time, and you remember Paul Maurice coaching Caroline, and you remember Eric Stahl as the captain. Is this a weird series because of that? Or is it just, it's the Eastern Conference Final, we got to put all that in a, you know, in a box? Yeah, I mean, a few a few months ago, it'd be kind of nostalgic until Eric Stahl decided to be a dumbass publicly. But, See, it's uh, really funny how both Stahls decided to be complete morons and the team overcame that. Because yeah. that was in a hugely important game for them, you know? That was a really big game, and they played like crap. And then Eric Stahl got embarrassed on social media, and they just bounced back from it. It's It's very weird. 
Yeah, unfortunately, he still kind of lowered himself a lot of Carolina fans' rankings after that. Uh, he he. I mean, I wasn't a big fan of both stalls beforehand, and I was like, I was ready to run him out myself by by the end of that because I'm like, you could be a bad hockey player, and I mean, the Panthers employ Nick Cousins. You know, he's had some history of not very good things. Let's be said, he was not convicted of anything, but. The stall stuff was just like, really, you're going to do this now in this game of all times when you're supposed to be leaders and you're acting like total distractions. Just like, what are you doing? But even then, like the Paul Maurice is coaching against the Hurricanes in the Eastern Conference final. Honestly, the the links that these two teams have is kind of crazy to me. Like the weirdest one to me is still the Gustav Forsling one. I think the weirdest one is not even just that of uh, the A2 Los Terrain and Revenge series. I like that one because, you know, I, I've really, really enjoyed it. It's game. funny because like Eric Halla, for some reason, Eric Halla is like a villain to a lot of Kane's fans. Well, he, uh, he was the in craziest, that, he's he the was in that trade. He was, and he was terrible with the Panthers, but he was lost to the Hurricanes in three straight postseasons. Well, the fans do, not li- fans do not like him at all. Like, he was kind of a dick in the Nashville series, though, because he was taking runs at Marty Natchez for basically no reason. And the two oh, of them kept okay. going back and f- the two of them kept going back and forth, but it went like they were booing him before that. Like, he was like for the first month he was here, he was good he had like 10 goals in october or something then he got hurt and then all of a sudden like he just could not get back into the coach's good graces and there was a lot of rumors about how he didn't want to play the system he had a lot of fights with the coaching staff apparently and i guess a lot of fans took that personally and it kind of it it is kind of funny that they keep playing him in the playoffs though that it is that is kind of amusing and they've eliminated him in the last three years and, yeah. and it's again how can that happen when he was on nashville all the one fluke central division year you get yeah. hurricanes predators and then oh they happen to run up against boston and they happen to run against new jersey i think my favorite of the weird connections isn't even necessarily forsling and most drain who i think most hurricanes fans would admit never had a chance to do what they're doing in florida in carolina i think there was never a chance of that it was interesting forsling is a guy they just kind of got as part of a salary dump for Calvin DeHaan and they got they didn't get much for either of them I think Anton Forsberg was the other guy they got back and they trade away Alexi Sorella I think too as part of that as he was part of once that deal. a panther exactly he went to Florida too and we liked him yeah well then like Florida claimed him off waivers when the the AHL team and Carolina was still was still Charlotte yeah, it's so fascinating. But it was now Florida's AHL team. It was team. now Florida's AHL affiliate with Jared Stahl coaching on the team because, of course, they are. But I also think, like, Los Duranen, too. Like, I never expected this, you know, from yeah, him. I thought, yeah, I thought he could be a good player. It's just a matter of... he's in a, He is a utility knife. Like, just every situation that they put him in, you trust him in. You know, whether it's in a more defensive situation... He's been good at that. He's obviously he, he kills penalties with Eric Stahl. You'll notice that um, it's he's he's really nice in like he's played power play and he's been nice. He, he had that one shot in game six, the game winning goal against the Bruins, where it was just like, holy crap, where did he pull that shot from? It's kind you know? of frust- I mean, it's kind of frustrating, like looking back at the old Carolina prospect core, because they had a lot of players who are now they have a lot of players. They had probably too many players to fit on the NHL team. Like when all, like all things considered, 
But you look at Nick Waugh, who's a very good player at Vegas now, but he's a role player, which is like fine, but still like you need those guys. Same with Los Torino and, and Morgan Geeky, they let go in expansion. But I mean, they, they they do a really good job, it seems, of finding like, well, also in this series, like, you know, they put in, what was it, McEachran? And he yeah, just was who good. is it? Right. But like the guys are calling up now that they've gotten great minutes from our AHL veterans, which I'm, which is probably why the Chicago Wolves are pissed at them. Uh, maybe. But, but that's it's all it's interesting because like, I don't know, I think that teams don't use their AHL clubs enough, especially with the older players. It's like once guys gets past once guys get past like 21. Oh, I forgot about like, Zach Dalton. Whatever. Yeah, yeah. Remember him. Although well, he might not play Riley Nash series. is down there, too. He is down there, too. Yes. Who is a Carolina prospect from way back when i mean oh but i think the funniest connection isn't even that it's not even oh paul krapelka's in the front office so is rick it's tuomo rutu's the panthers assistant and he was the only and he's the only one that survived last year's coaching staff that was clearly a bill zito hire like i don't think joel quenville when they were building out that first coaching staff was like yeah we're gonna hire tuomo rutu he was a fan favorite here for i know and now he's and now he's the panthers assistant I totally forgot about that. Like I that know, one yeah. was that one's my personal favorite because we we UC liked Okanen it because played there a few years too. UC, well, UC Okanen is a, is another one that we love. You UC Okanen was a good player, but I think my favorite being root to is just because it's like oh that's Bill Zito's Finland connections. He just wants you know these two. Te- I think uh, what was funny is like if you wanted two teams that love Finnish hockey, like this is probably the two teams you'd want more than any others and to match up. Because no two teams have done more good for Finnish hockey Except than I think maybe these two. Minnesota. Uh, maybe Minnesota. I guess Dallas too. You could consider. Brodeen. I mean, Brodeen, uh between like Brodeen and uh, Miko Koivu. Me, yeah. yeah, Koivu. Yeah. But I think with Brand with Lund. the Panthers, with Oli and UC, but now Barkov and Lundell, it's like that's the other player I think is going to have a really interesting series is Anton Lundell. Yeah, I thought he was going to really take off this year, but he was He, he fine, didn't until the good. end of the season when they got on that six-game winning streak where he took off. And I thought last year he had a really tough postseason. Um, he didn't really adapt to postseason hockey all that well, particularly against Tampa. But in this postseason, I think he's been excellent. He's been not just the goals, but I think his overall play. I I don't remember who I think it was Harmon Dial wrote the thing on the athletic where he was already like by one metric, the 15th best defensive forward in the league. It's just totally on brand. I think he's been incredible. And that's why I said that line is the one where I'm like, is Carolina basically going to dare that line to do something? Yeah, it's it's interesting with Lundell because like Lundell's a guy I thought would have like a points explosion this year because he was very good. He was very good at a lot of things that translate to points just with creating off the rush and just creating a lot of passes in general. Whereas this year, like I just pulled up his all three zones page. He's been a beast at exiting the zone, like one of the best players in the league. That doesn't surprise me because like that's a thing that I bet he learned from Barkov and how to do because Barkov's also like incredible at exits, you know, and. But like his offense tailed off is the only thing. But, well, it's because yeah. I think that the the adjustment to having to do a little bit more defensively in the system that Paul Maurice is asking them to do was a really tough adjustment. And then eventually he started playing on the wing with Barkov and that just made it harder. You know, like he got moved around a lot. He was injured at times. And then he just jumped into that second line center roll end of the year and it just went. Right. The light, bulb, the light also- bulb went off. 
I guess it also goes to show that, like, I don't know, a breakout season happens in different ways. He's just adding, like, a different layer to his game now. As and I said, he, I, I thought he struggled player. for a lot of the year at times and doing uh, some of the things that we thought. And then in the playoffs, he's just been excellent. Like, every time I've watched him play, I'm like, wow, that is not the player I saw last postseason. That's not the player I saw in the regular season. That looks like baby Barkoff, which is essentially what we all thought was going to happen when they drafted him. It was just like this this dude's gonna be you know bark off eight years younger and kind of has been so there's one other point i wanted to make before we i ask you for a prediction and that's in these i mentioned this on the other show too the hurricanes have gone up two nothing at home in five of these six series since the uh covet year 2020 and in every one of them they've lost game three and in some cases, they've looked really bad in game threes. And this postseason, they looked terrible in those two game threes. And in recent postseasons, they also didn't win the game four. And they put a lot of pressure on themselves to win at home. So to me, my whole thing was, if they can get one in Raleigh and the Hurricanes struggle with that hard adjustment from where Rod Brindamore can line match to where he can't because of this game, whatever it is that makes the Hurricanes terrible in the first road game of a playoff series, that could be a position where they have to then adjust in a way that they haven't had to in these other series when you're up to nothing and you've got more margin for error on the road. Do you see that? Because I look at those game threes and the hurricanes look terrible and you're like, how is this possible? And it hasn't bit them in a place where they're going whole, they're going to the road in a one, one series. It's always been two nothing. So they've been able to overcome that. But what about here? That's where I think the key to this series comes in. Is Florida could get one of the two in Sunrise uh, in Raleigh, and then they do what they do in Game Three. What do you? And then and then Carolina's got to adjust back down two games to one. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think that'll be interesting. Just because I mean, it might make them play better in Game Three, just because they're not playing as loose as they usually do to start the to start the first road game. Because like when you're up two to nothing, like you kind of enter it with some level of I mean you don't enter it like you're playing with house money but it's just natural you know it's like okay we're already up two to one this team the other team's also going to give you their best because they absolutely need to win that game because the last thing you want to do is go down three nothing and I think they have they've had a hard time adjusting to when the other team gives them their best in a desperate situation because even in the uh in the games they clinched they had to struggle a little bit because they had to rally back, they had to rally back against the Islanders and traded goals with New Jersey, and offense wasn't coming to them as easily. So I think I they, mean, they, they clinched both of their series in overtimes, like Florida has. Right. So I think there is kind of an element of uh, just uh, when the other team, when the other team just throws the kitchen sink at them, it's kind of hard to. It's a little tougher for them to adjust. And Florida but as the does that to you a on, lot. But as the series goes on, though, I think they've done a lot better than they have in previous years. I mean, I also go back to that Lightning series. They dropped the first two games at home. They won game three in overtime, and that that was probably their best game of the series. And they played that absolutely bonkers oh, game. Oh, yeah. That, that, oh, I forgot about how I think they lost that like game. six to five or something. But yeah, I forgot about it because that's not the nutso playoff game for the Lightning in that postseason. I remember that was the game one against Florida. You know, the the uh, the Sean Gentilly writes a piece for The Athletic about how a bunch of people are introduced to hockey through the craziest playoff game you've ever seen. Yeah. Until so it, until later in the playoffs. Yeah. So 
I don't know. I think it'll be interesting if they lose one of the first two home games because this is where they've been just dynamite, really, since Brenda Moore took over. They always win game one at home. And that's the thing. The Panthers had, until this last series, been awful in game ones and somehow in the last two had overcome it. And so I don't fear that they can't overcome that. But, you know, what if it is a typical Carolina game one and it's a bit of an onslaught? You know, I don't think they're going to drop their heads, Florida. They don't they don't do that anymore. But if they can get one in Raleigh, that's where I think this series changes because the Panthers haven't been great at home this postseason. And so the Hurricanes could definitely get one. And you don't want to go three one to Raleigh with having to win two games there to win the series. I mean, they're not going to fear anything, but that's a different animal than going up even against the Bruins. So for me, it's it's if the Panthers get one in Raleigh in the early going in the series. At, that changes that that puts the onus on Carolina if what we have seen in game threes continues from the last couple postseasons. Yeah, I think uh, it definitely makes it a lot more. Uh, it makes the structure a lot different. But uh, I mean, Florida winning three games in Boston is nothing to slouch. They've at. won six straight road games in the playoffs. Right. Yeah, they dropped the first game and then just and beat them in the last three. Like that's. I mean, that's nothing to slouch. I mean, winning at Boston is a lot tougher than winning at Carolina. I so. I mean, I always go back to the Panthers' history in that building, and not that this team has anything to do with that, but George Richards had a piece of all of the wacky Panthers things that have happened at whatever that arena was called, PNC Arena, RBC Center, right? Yeah. And it's just like, holy crap, a lot of dumb Panthers things have happened in this building. And we're not just talking about Gerard Gallant. He brought up the Keith Yandel taking a puck in the face or whatever and coming back and playing. I was like, oh, I forgot about that. Like, it, it's one of those buildings where as a Panthers fan and a Panthers watcher, I go, oh, right. This is one of those te- places like, yeah, a little scared about Boston, but the Bruins had all that pressure. Like the, the, the Hurricanes are not going to have that same level of we have to win pressure that the Bruins and the Leafs had. You know what I mean? And that's, yeah, it. that's I mean, that's the I other hope element. <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think the Hurricanes are going to play like that. I don't think that happens until you're basically in the do or die like game seven and you need a goal kind of moment, you know, or like they are desperate to have that one play. Don't know. That's my guess, but I have yeah, no idea. Because when the game gets to that point, that's when they struggle, like when they need a goal. But this season, I mean, this playoffs, they've adjusted, they've adjusted to that pretty well. So who do you think wins? Because my head is telling me Carolina and I picked against the Hurricane and I picked uh, against the Panthers in the first two series and that went well. But now in this one, my heart is telling me, okay, you shouldn't doubt the Panthers anymore. So what do you think? I mean, just like you, I'm not going to doubt my team. So, well, I didn't expect you to do anything. They've gotten this far, but I think they win and I think they win in six. I and my initial prediction was six, but now in this point, I'm like, I think this goes seven. And I just think that the Hurricanes are going to screw up a home game seven. I know they did against the Rangers last year, but that was Kachetkov. And that was a different kind of Hurricanes team to this one. So, yeah, either either way, uh, I'm going to be reading your Twitter timeline during these games eagerly because I want to see what you what you're anticipating. And I'm looking forward to this. It's going to be one of the crazier series. I mean, I feel bad for the Coyotes who are still going to be in next year at Mullet, but like to see the Coyotes have all this happen at the same time as we have a legit Sunbelt semifinals with all these teams. It's just, I kind of feel bad for them. Ugh, yeah, I mean, I feel bad for the fans that stuck around and dealt with all that. Just yeah, bullshit, but... it, it, it is. I do feel bad for them. 
But anyway, uh, this is going to be a fun series, and I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be nerve-wracking, but it's going to be a lot of fun. So, Corey, where can everybody find you? As uh, if you they can, already haven't before. You can find me at Shutdown Line on Twitter. That's kind of the hub for all my stuff. And uh, also at all3zones.com if you want to subscribe to my work and all the uh, stats and recaps that I've been doing throughout the playoffs. I am looking forward to seeing the stellar reactions during this series. No, it's she'll not, be... Not the she, positive ones. I want, I want her old. to be... I she's know, getting old and mentally now, so... I want the... I want the... I want... I want this. Well, you have the pictures of old reactions. I do admit I like her, but I want the sad reactions in the series. I have to admit. Can't. That's fair. Anyway, thank you, Corey. Good luck in the series. All right, yeah, thanks. You too.